Is Jim Brown the greatest team sport player we've ever seen? We'll get into that this week. Sans Coach, this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is the Iceman, Matt Freitz. The coach is not with us this week. As you know, we are a family show, and things are going to happen every now and again. So the coach had to tend to his family. And as always here on Iceman and Coach, we are here, and I mean me and you, the listeners, are here to pick up the slack. I just want to welcome you to the show, and thank you for taking out the time on this long weekend. It is Memorial Day. It is the official start of summer. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to some beach weather, to some pool weather, and some good old-fashioned cookout weather. So however it is that you celebrate this weekend, I hope that you celebrate it happy, healthy, and safe. And I'm just happy that you are spending just a little bit of time with us here at Iceman and Coach. As you know, Iceman and Coach is a sports show, and we try to be a sports show for what we call the every fan. Not everybody celebrates sports the same way as the other person. There are a lot of people for whom sports is a diehard venture for them. They really see it as something that is ingrained into their soul. I think there is always a place for that. There are a lot of people who also are tangentially aware of sports and really see it as something that's entertaining, but it's not critical to their lives. I find myself falling somewhere in the middle of all of that. There was a time in my life where I felt that sports was really the most important thing for me. And I think the geographic connection that I had to the city of Boston, living in New England my whole life. I think that was probably part of it. So there was a time in my life when I was younger, when I was rowdier, in which sports meant more to me. I took the losses harder. I took the wins better, things like that. As I've gotten older, I've become much more of a generalist in that respect. And some news hit over the past week that I think that we need to talk about, because I think that this particular person, and I'm talking about Jim Brown, I think that he actually transcends most of sports, because I think that some of the things that he did on the field and off the field are things that people can relate with. Jim Brown is often associated as one of the best running backs of all time. Generally speaking, when you talk about NFL, and I would say actually in sports in general, one of the most regular tropes in sports radio is actually always doing a top five of who's the best quarterback, who's the best this, who's the best that. And most of the time, whenever running back comes up in the NFL, Jim Brown is going to be in the discussion. Me personally, Jim Brown is the best running back to ever play the game. But I have to admit, I was not alive when he did most of his playing. But there's so much about his career on the field that I think a lot of people today don't appreciate. And if you look at the paradigm of the NFL today and you look at the way that the players are, the league is fundamentally different than it ever was when Jim Brown played. First of all, I think that player rights are a lot more at the forefront. And you can thank Jim Brown for that in a lot of ways. Free agency is also something that is really, really big in the NFL. You can also thank Jim Brown for that, too. And I think that player safety is something that is at the forefront. And maybe tangentially, you can thank Jim Brown for that as well, because Jim Brown has been really aging not very well over the past 10 years or so. He took a lot of punishment in his career. Now, his career was very, very short in comparison to what a lot of the careers are today that we see. I know for running back, the average career, I think, is like two and a half, three years. But in playing less than 10 seasons is really unusual today. Even a running back can find a journeyman spot and really find themselves on a team here or there. They're not high producing, but they're at least continuing their career and their longevity is still safe. Jim Brown did not have that. But then again, the world was much different when Jim Brown was playing. 
This is in the 1960s. Now, if you think about the 1960s in America, it was a very, very volatile time for many, many reasons. One of the big reasons that it was volatile for Jim Brown specifically was, of course, segregation and all of the civil rights movements that were taking place at that time. America was fundamentally different then. If you were a black person, you couldn't necessarily go into the same restaurant as other white people. You couldn't even drink from the same water fountain, let alone go to the same school. There's so many different things that happened in this country that are not that far in our past. And Jim Brown lived through that. He was an athlete playing at the highest level of the sport through all of those things. And I think he was an athlete, very, very similar to somebody like, say, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for instance, for whom the sport wasn't the most important thing to him. The world around him and the way that the world was presenting itself to him was also very important. And I think Jim Brown felt it was incumbent on him to be able to show you that there were more important things than sports. And Jim Brown did a lot in his very, very short career. And some of the things that I mentioned not two minutes ago, I think are very, very prevalent today in the NFL. Free agency is something that I think players take for granted. I think when they are on the cusp of getting paid, free agency is something that they bank on. It wasn't always the case. And I think a lot of the athletes today are directly beneficiaries of the fact that Jim Brown made it so that free agency could really happen. Perhaps he wasn't the first free agent, but I think that the work that he did talking about unions and things like that really paved the way for players to have the kind of strong union that they have today, but also make it so that free agency could be a thing. It is part of the NFL paradigm. It's really part of the pro sports paradigm here in this country. And players have benefited to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. Do you have any idea how many players have gone through the ranks of the NFL and gotten that generational wealth that we always talk about players wanting? Look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson signing that contract, that's generational wealth to him. He should be set for the rest of his life. And that is because somebody like Jim Brown paved the way. On the field, Jim Brown was a force. And when I say he was the best running back to ever play, I don't really think that there is any direct comparison. There have been a lot of great running backs that have come through the ranks of the NFL. Talk about Barry Sanders, you talk about Emmett Smith, guys like that. You could list a whole bunch of guys right in a row that were excellent Hall of Fame running backs. But not a one of them seemed to do the same thing that Jim Brown did. Jim Brown played 60% of his team's snaps. That is crazy. And the fact that he did it without missing a game is also crazy. I know a lot of people today like to look at athletes and think that they're soft today. And maybe people from Jim Brown's era also look at the NFL and think that these guys are soft. The game has updated. It has adapted. We have learned a lot about safety. We have learned a lot about how we can make the game as safe as possible, understanding that football in and of itself is an inherently violent sport. It's like trying to make boxing safe. There's no way that you can make boxing safe. It's a combat sport. And just like boxing, football is a combat sport. It is a high-impact combat sport. You can't ever really take that away from it without making it not what it is, football. Jim Brown not missing a game through all of that, that's remarkable. You think about the usage rate. Passing really wasn't as big as it is today back in the 60s. It, it just wasn't. The game was fundamentally different. A sound running game was really the crux of your offense. Today, you have a lot of running back by committee, and that's really the smart thing to do. If you watch the political football live draft show that I was on, and if you haven't, you can find that on their YouTube Dave, the host of Political Football, or one of the hosts of Political Football, was extremely upset because the Detroit Lions spent high draft capital in the first round to take a running back. I want to say it was like the 17th pick. I can't remember what it was. And running backs are just not as valuable today, especially when you have only once-in-a-generation talents coming through, not as often. I would actually argue that you have once-in-a-generation quarterbacks coming through 
much more often than you have running backs these days. But even if you draft that running back, what is that going to do for you? It's not the way that it was in the 60s. Jim Brown was their offense, and they used him a lot, 60% of the snaps. That's a lot of violence, a lot of hits, and just a lot of wear and tear. And that's why he called his career short. He was in a lot of pain throughout the rest of his life, though. So Jim Brown suffered quite a bit, but he was also a celebrity off the field as well. And he was somebody kind of like OJ that transcended the sport. He became more synonymous with the political things that he did and not just the things that he did on the field. And I think that's a great message to take away. I don't know a whole lot about Jim Brown's life. I don't know a whole lot about his politics. I haven't even done really the research to know exactly everything that Jim Brown did. But what I do know and what I think is important for you to take away on this particular episode is the fact that Jim Brown was great and he was great at a lot of things that he did. And he died an angry man because the world really hasn't changed all that much in what he was fighting for. Jim Brown was looking for equality in many different facets. And you could argue some of that hasn't come to fruition today. There are a lot of people that don't feel as if the United States is the land of the free for them. And Jim Brown was fighting for that for black people. Other people will be taking up that mantle for him. Jim Brown did quite a bit, and I urge you to look him up. If you've never heard of Jim Brown and you are a football fan, you need to know who he was. You need to understand the impact that he had on the game, and you need to understand the impact that he had on a lot of the running backs coming out today. Derrick Henry is seen today, or was seen last year or the year before, as the best running back in the league because he is a direct descendant of Jim Brown. If you look at the way that he runs, you look at his physique, he is Jim Brown today. He's the closest thing we've ever had to Jim Brown. And really, there's not a comparison. And any running back would probably tell you that Jim Brown is the man. A lot of people will tell you that Jim Brown's the man. So on the football field and off the football field, Jim Brown, I think, is an elite person. And he is one of the GOATs. He's definitely the GOAT running back. He has got to be a top five NFL player of all time. I'm not really sure that that's a debatable topic, but that's kind of the point of the show, isn't it? So if you disagree with me and you don't think that Jim Brown is all that, do not forget to call or text the show, area code 703-718-6314. Coach and I would love to hear your thoughts on Jim Brown. We'd love to hear your thoughts on his place in NFL history, how you feel about running backs, whatever it is that you want to tell us. We are here for your takes, and we'd love to hear from you, so don't forget to call or text the show anytime to let us know how full of crap we are. We are entering that time period as we hit the summertime in which most people would consider this to start a lull in sports. We have the Stanley Cup final coming up. We have the NBA finals coming up. The baseball season is now almost two months in, but there's not gonna be football for another three months. And a lot of people think that that is a lull. I think you need to take a look at what's going on in the NHL and NBA playoffs right now because you have two number eight seeds, both from the city of Miami, that one of them is going to their final, the other one is on the verge of going to their final. And I think that that is a remarkable story. You don't see that too often. Eight seeds do generally tend to make noise in the NHL playoffs because hockey is such a different game once you get to the playoffs. I mean, hockey really is different in a lot of ways because there's so many elements of chance that are introduced to hockey, a bounce here, a bounce there. The puck can go past that line anytime, anywhere, anyhow, And it really sometimes is out of the control of the players that are on the ice. Basketball is a little bit different. You have to get hot and stay hot. And there's something about the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat that are hot right now. I think the Florida Panthers came in with a chip on their shoulder, barely making the playoffs, being told they had no chance against a historic Boston Bruins team. That's the part that I want you to remember. The Boston Bruins in that first round were historic. 
by every measure in the regular season. They were the best regular season team to ever play NHL hockey. And I'm talking statistically. There's just really no comparison. And yet they got bounced in the first round by a plucky team from Florida because nobody told them that they had a chance. And once you get past that first hurdle, all the gloves are off. You know that you're going to make a run. And they have made a run all the way to the Stanley Cup final. The Miami Heat, on the other hand, came in. They were a part of the play-in. They were going to lose the play-in, came back and won. And then they get the Milwaukee Bucks. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the show. We talked about Mike Budenholzer getting fired. We talked about Giannis and his there is no failure in sports and all that. And they have since made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And as I'm recording this for you now, they are playing in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Both of these teams have another thing in common in which they went up three games to none in their series. And I started to wonder to myself, like, what is the mentality when you go down three games to none? It has to be a unique thing because historically, not many teams have overcome that hurdle. There's only been a handful of teams that have ever come back from down 0-3. And I wondered, how is that? And why is that? Because teams go on runs all the time. And I think it's the level of competition. I also think there's something mental about the fact that when you go down 0-3, that narrative is following you. You know that almost no teams have come back from that deficit, and it has to get to you. There has to be something in your brain that says, oh, wow, I don't think we have a chance here. Of course, hope springs eternal, and you want to think that there is hope. But I think that that hope is fleeting, and I think that it's false hope, honestly. And a lot of these teams are coming into that game four, trying to just steal one. It's a lot. Sometimes the comeback takes more energy than the actual win, and a lot of teams fall short. The Florida Panthers sealed the deal. They did what they had to do when they are going to their first Stanley Cup since 1996. We have yet to see who their opponent is. The Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights have both had a back-and-forth series. Although, when you look at it, the Vegas Golden Knights are up three games to one, and the Dallas Stars have been in every game. That's one thing I've noticed about these playoffs, actually, is overtime seems to be something that is regular. And for the casual fan like me, and I'm sure Coach would agree, that's something that you want. You want that appointment television. And seeing games going to overtime, anytime you get free sports, it's awesome. So we're going to see what happens with the Stanley Cup final. But I think that the Florida Panthers are a great story. Coach and I kind of got behind them a little bit because they're just a great story. They're the, the underdog. And America loves the underdog. But once the Florida Panthers make it, if they win the Stanley Cup, they will no longer have that narrative to follow them. Now, in the NBA, the Miami Heat went up three games to none on the Boston Celtics. Now, the Boston Celtics on paper should have been the better team. I think that nobody would argue that they aren't the better team. But when you get to the playoffs, everything is different. And I think that sometimes matchups matter. The Celtics and Heat have played themselves so often over the last few postseasons, they're very, very familiar with each other. And both of these teams have a very, very similar core to what they've had the last three or four years. And I think that you get to the point where you're so familiar with that team that no matter what the team comes in with, and talking about regular season records, player disparities, things like that, I think that it's just a different beast entirely. And the Heat found themselves up three games to none. And I thought, wow, the Celtics are really having a disappointing run here because they were a team that had high hopes, having gone to the finals last year, come up a little bit short against Golden State. Their coach got fired over the offseason. Joe Mazzulla takes over. He's a very, very young guy. He's six years younger than I am. Can't believe I'm at that point now where all of these coaches and players are like significantly younger than I am. But it is what it is, right? You get older, things happen. And they have high expectations and they have almost a 60-win season. But the playoffs haven't really seemed easy for them. They played the Hawks. They didn't really stomp them out of the building. They played the 76ers, who gave them every single chance to win. And it really took them seven games. And it was kind of like, man, it doesn't seem like this is very easy for them. And they get the Heat. And the Heat go up 3 nothing before you even realize what's happening. 
And the Celtics came into game four saying, don't let us get one. And I told you just a minute ago, that's how all these teams think. We need to get one. So the Celtics got one. They got game four. And then they got another one in game five. And this is where the mentality shifts a little bit. Because once you get to game six, and of course it's happening right now. So by the time this comes to you, the Miami Heat may be headed to the NBA Finals. But my point being here is that once you get to that point where you have lost two in a row now, the mentality shifts a little bit. Sure, the Celtics are down in the series. But the Miami Heat now feel as if the pressure is on them because, again, that narrative is following. It doesn't just follow the teams that are down. It then becomes part of the narrative of the teams that are up. Because when you're up three games to two, but you were up three games to none, that doubt starts to creep in. The narrative, the media starts to follow you. Are they going to blow this lead? What's happening with the Heat? Are the Celtics finding something? And so if the Celtics end up making it to game seven, all bets are off once that happens. And it will be very, very exciting. Now, I think a lot of the country has fatigue over these two teams, but if something historic like this is going to happen, I think most of the casual fans out there watching this series are going to take that and say, you know what, I'll take that any day, because not only does America love an underdog, but they love a historic story. And so if the Boston Celtics make this comeback, it will be historic, but they are going to get a tough, tough matchup on the other side, because the Denver Nuggets did the thing. Nikola Jokic, I talked about a few weeks ago, needed to be the MVP, And having watched him in these playoffs, understanding that it's a regular season award, I still do not understand how Nikola Jokic didn't win the MVP. Now, there are some theories to go along with that. And our buddy Matt Humphreys, who will be a part of Basketball U coming up in a couple of weeks right before the finals, he has talked about the fact offline that it's voter fatigue, that a lot of these voters don't want to vote Jokic an MVP for the third time because getting three in a row gives him this level of prestige that they feel, I guess, is only reserved for the best of the best. But my question to you is what has Jokic not done yet to show you that he is amongst the greatest that have ever played? Does he need a title? I would say probably yes. But I'm saying statistically and the way that he plays the game and the things that he is doing. I mean, in these playoffs, he has had some stat lines that are not only historic, but they're also pedestrian for him. How can you be both historic and that is your average on a given night? I don't understand how this player is happening. When I watch Nikola Jokic play, he's playing with a fluidity that just isn't natural for somebody that looks and plays like him. His body shape, he looks like a guy that should live in my neighborhood. He doesn't look like the best player in the NBA. But I said coming into this Western Conference Finals that the Denver Nuggets, they had never made it this far, and they needed a part of the narrative to go with it. And they were going to get that because they got LeBron James and the Lakers. Now, LeBron James and the Lakers are seventh seed coming into these playoffs, but probably a seven seed that you feel was more dangerous because of the fact that Anthony Davis was healthy and LeBron James is on this team. You really can't go wrong with what is probably going to go down as the second greatest NBA player of all time on your team. And if you have a healthy Anthony Davis, that really, really helps. But I thought this is the time where the Nuggets need to step up and really make the narrative about them relinquishing control from LeBron James. And you know what? Jokic and crew, they did it. They swept the Lakers right out of the playoffs. I don't believe that this hurts LeBron's legacy. I know a lot of people are trying to take this in a microcosm and say, what does it mean for his whole legacy? LeBron James is just fine. He's going to come back. He's going to play his 21st season. He's fine. Every single great has some bad mark on their resume. There's a lot of scar tissue on a lot of these greats. They're not all perfect. Michael Jordan, to his credit, retired in the two years that he could have lost to the Houston Rockets. We don't know. Michael Jordan's legacy might be seen differently today had he not retired. LeBron James has been playing for 20 years and his longevity is going to be unprecedented. Nobody is going to play at this level for this long 
other than LeBron James. It's just not going to happen. He doesn't even look like he's losing his step. And yes, the wear and tear is getting to him. And you could tell because he was carrying that team in game four against the Nuggets, but he still has it in him. And that's the strange part about LeBron is he's 38 years old, all those miles. He still got it. He's still that guy, even if he's only maybe top three in the league, top five in the league. It's amazing at his age that he's even in that conversation. But Jokic and crew are going to the NBA Finals for the very first time. And Jokic has the chance now to cement himself in his legacy, kind of like the way that Giannis did it two years ago. And once you get that first ring, a lot of the pressures are a little bit different. And maybe they do change over time because Giannis is obviously being asked now two years later, hey, how come you guys failed? He just won a title two years ago and all of a sudden he's a failure now. But Jokic needs to get to that rung of the ladder. He needs to win that title and he needs to take his team to the promised land. And when he does, he's going to be cemented as one of the greats. And I think that this year there is a lot of good narratives coming in from the NBA Finals. And we're going to see, is it going to be the Celtics going for their, what, 19th championship? Is it going to be the Heat? trying to go for that championship under Pat Riley that didn't include the big three? Or is it going to be Nikola Jokic finally getting that first title and everybody having to recognize him as not only probably the best player in the NBA, but possibly one of the best players of the last 20, 30 years? So a lot of intrigue there, and you can follow that here on Iceman and Coach. It's funny that we mentioned the Miami Heat because the Miami Heat, to me, are kind of related to the next topic of the week, and that was the NBA draft lottery that took place last week. Now, this year, there is an unprecedented player, Victor Wenbinyama, who's coming out of France, who everybody is vying for. I can think of a few NBA drafts where there have been players like this. The one that kind of strikes me was when Tim Duncan came out of Wake Forest. The Boston Celtics were easily the worst team in the league that year. The San Antonio Spurs won the draft lottery and were able to select Tim Duncan, and the rest is history. They won five NBA titles. The Boston Celtics won one. That was when the big three came about. But when the Miami Heat were on the verge of possibly not making the playoffs, I was listening to some Miami sports radio that I generally tend to do. And some of the people down there were talking about the fact that the Heat should blow it so that they don't make the playoffs and they have a chance at Wembenyama. The Heat are in that weird place where when you're the eighth seed or you're on the cusp of missing the playoffs, you're in that draft space where you're probably going to get a guy that's going to be a very good role player, but probably not a franchise changing guy. And when you have a guy like Wembenyama, who a lot of people are saying is that can't-miss prospect, then you need to figure out what's more important. Do you go for a championship because you don't know when the next opportunity is going to come around? Or do you think toward the future and try to get a chance at this guy? And I think that the Heat were in an advantageous position because they held their own destiny in their hands at the end of the season. They could have easily just tanked and lost and tried to get a shot at Wemby. And I know that the Dallas Mavericks obviously got hit for that, and Luka was not happy with it because he, on the other side of that, wanted to play for a championship. But there are a lot of teams now that are looking at when do we rebuild. And I think that's a fascinating element of this. And I thought about it in terms of hockey, but hockey is very, very different because hockey from a year-to-year basis, the parity is so high. Some teams that miss the playoffs one year, they could be the worst team in the league. They then all of a sudden vault to being in the playoffs. Look at the Seattle Kraken. First year as an expansion team, Worst record in the league by far. Next year, they make it to the second round of the playoffs. So things can change in a heartbeat, and you just get a couple of players. It's really a team sport in that element. There are so many factors that make hockey what it is, and with so many guys on that roster that you're constantly changing in and out, not many times is one guy going to just do it for you. He's got to have some support around him, and there's so many factors that go into it. But in the NBA, when you only start five guys, 
getting that can't miss guy could be the difference between 20 years of success and 20 years of losing. And so the lottery comes about and there was a three-way tie for last place last season. The San Antonio Spurs were one of those teams and they ended up getting the number one pick to draft Victor Wembanyama. And a lot of people are just groaning about this because, oh great, the NBA rigged this, the Spurs are gonna be the next dynasty again, blah, 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 blah. And while I think that there is some validity to trying to get a chance to draft a guy like this, this is a lottery system. And so the chances that you're going to get it are very, very slim. Even those teams with the worst record in the league had, what, a 16% chance to get it. That's really, really low. And I think that if you have a chance to win a championship, you should go for it. The Miami Heat obviously feel good about the core that they have to the point that they continue to put them out year after year. And Jimmy Butler does something different in the playoffs. And I think that the Heat were doing the right thing by wanting to get in. Even if you get into the play-in, just get in and see what you can do. And as we spoke about earlier, they're one win away from the NBA Finals. So if you have a chance to win a championship, you should take it because they don't come around very often and you just don't know if you're going to get that chance. So many things go into winning a championship. But the question really becomes, if you're a team that you know doesn't have a lot of talent, how do you effectively tank knowing that you're not guaranteed anything? And there is an inherent danger to tanking in the NBA because you don't know what you're going to get. And a lot of these teams that have been bad for so long have never won the lottery. And even if they win the lottery, the fact remains, there are not a lot of can't-miss guys out there. But this guy, Wembenyama, is a can't-miss guy. And he's going to change the fortunes of the San Antonio Spurs. My overall point to this is, is the lottery a good thing or a bad thing? Because a lot of people feel that if you are the worst team in the league, you should be rewarded with the first pick in the draft because you were bad. But there's a lot of factors that go into being bad, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of things that coaches can control or executives can control that make it so that you are bad. And this particular year, when there is a can't-miss prospect, there are a lot of teams that will be incentivized to be the worst in the league. And what does that really do to competitive balance? What does it do to the fan experience? There's a lot of things to take into consideration there. And so I think that for the NBA, because one player can drastically change your franchise, I do think that the lottery makes a lot of sense in that regard. Again, you're only starting five guys. And so if you draft that one guy who's going to be able to come in and set your franchise on the next path for the next 10, 12, 15 years, that's a responsibility that I think should not just be given to the fact that you made sure that you tanked. Because I'm telling you right now, every team would try to go 0 and 82 just to get this guy. There would not be a lot of competitiveness. And I think that the lottery actually makes it so that you try to stay competitive. But let's say the Golden State Warriors are looking at their future. They have this core. They think that maybe they have a couple of years left to try and win another championship. But hey, here comes Wemby. So you know what happens? Steph Curry gets hurt. Draymond gets hurt. Klay Thompson gets hurt. And all of a sudden now, the Warriors are the worst team in the league. And that worked out for them recently. They ended up drafting a couple of guys. And then guess what? They won the championship last year. So hope springs eternal there. But I think that if you're in the business of trying to tank intentionally, I do believe that it hurts your chances because I think that you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting the fans down too. And on the back end, you're not guaranteed anything. There is no guarantee that you're gonna get that first pick. From a business perspective and from a competitive perspective, teams like the Miami Heat that are on that cusp, they need to decide when the time is to pull the plug. But I think the time to pull the plug is not when they're on the cusp of the playoffs, but once they realize that there's no moving past that, once you realize that your stars are aging, you need to cut bait and then have a couple of bad years so that you can try to get those draft picks. You can try to rebuild the roster and do it that way. 
I just do not think that having a draft lottery in any other sport works out because I just believe that the draft in the NBA, one guy can change so many fortunes. And I think the San Antonio Spurs are going to find that out. It'll be really interesting to see what Wemby does with the San Antonio Spurs. He has a lot of upside. He's coming to a coach in Greg Popovich, who's obviously one of the greatest to ever do it, a multiple-time champion. And if there is a team that can actually nurture this guy and make sure that he does everything right, I think that it's the San Antonio Spurs. We will have to wait to see because we just don't know anything, and there are so many factors that can go into it. I'd love to know how you feel about it. Don't forget, call or text the show 703-718-6314 for you podcast listeners. And of course, it is scrolling at the bottom of the screen for those of you on YouTube. And guess what? It's now time for OTW. OTW of the week, as Coach and I like to have a little bit of fun every single week, putting a little personal flair on the show. And usually we have Iceman Stat of the Week and Coach's Pick of the Week, but because Coach is on the shelf this week, we are going to stick with the Iceman's Stat of the Week. So earlier we talked about Nikola Jokic and we talked about the NBA draft. Something that I learned this week, which was just laugh out loud funny, is that when Nikola Jokic was chosen, he was in the second round, I believe he was pick number 41 overall, He was chosen on a commercial break, and that commercial was Taco Bell. So the greatest player in the NBA today, should have been a three-time MVP, was drafted during a commercial break. So obviously, those in the media tent didn't think that he was going to be anything special, and now he's four wins away from winning that NBA title. As I said at the beginning of the show, we're a family show, and things happen every single week, but I just want you to know, the listener, that we try to set it up so that Every single week, you are getting some content. I can't even begin to describe to you if you're listening or if you're watching just how much your listenership and your viewership means to me and to Coach. Life is very, very busy. It always will be. And the fact that you take just a little bit of your time to watch us or listen to us, it's so humbling. We talk about it a lot. And I know that Coach and I have a lot going on in our lives, and we try to do everything that we can to bring you that content. But one of the reasons that we decided to do INC Sports was because we knew that we needed to branch out. We wanted to bring you more content, even if things weren't going that way on our end and we could bring you that content. So I'm really happy to announce the fact that this past week, we actually put out our first two INC Sports content pieces, and that was the Cornerman and Flashing the Leather baseball and boxing-specific content. I had a lot of fun recording those with some folks. We had John Jones coming in talking about baseball. We had Supreme Rich and Cleve Wason, who you already know, because he's been on this show before, to talk about boxing, the Haney-Lomachenko fight. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff coming up for you. And I want you to stick with us. Understand that we have a vision and we want to present you with that menu of content. We want you to be entertained. I'm very, very happy that you're enjoying yourself, and I just can't even begin to describe to you from me and Coach how much this means to us. So before we get out of here, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Don't forget to call or text the show. That number is scrolling at the bottom and is in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. It's not a requirement, but it does help. And if you're listening and you want to find the YouTube page, that is in the show notes. Please don't forget to support the Pub Time Podcast, where Brad and Ryan are doing some really, really great things over there. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, please don't forget to hit follow and rate. It keeps the show growing and charting. If you want to find us on social media, at Iceman and Coaches, the handle for both Twitter and Instagram, 
I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And as always, from me and from Coach, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.